this week we're in our second week of our series, uh, A Spirit-Filled Disciple. We're looking at seven different traits of something that a spirit-filled disciple would do and, and, and how they would grow. And, and last week we really dove into the Bible. And I started with the Bible because, I mean, it's, the Bible is a great place to start. If you want to be a spirit-filled disciple, starting with the Bible is a fantastic place to start. It's somewhere where each and every one of us today, even if you don't believe in the Bible, you have the ability to read. You can pick up the Bible and start reading and studying and questioning and asking, uh, is this real? Is this truthful? Uh, so to me, it's something where I want each and every one of you, and you're going to hear me say it till either everybody gets it into which point we then start bringing in new people who are getting it, and I have to keep saying it, or until you get so sick and tired of me saying it that you learn how to tune my voice out. Uh, but I want you to be able to read and study the Bible for yourself. I, my attitude as a pastor is I'm trying to actively always work myself out of a job because it's not about me. It's not about my family. It's about Jesus Christ and making him famous. So my goal is to come here just to equip you, to, to give you what you need, that, that shot of energy, so you can go out into the world and tell people about Jesus. Like, I'm, I'm here just to, to help you, to equip you, and to do life with you. So reading the Bible is the first one. Through this series, it's, even as, uh, like, Pastor Frank and Pastor Cheryl referenced it, I'm telling you now that today we're talking about service, Next week, we're talking about worshiping and freedom. And then the following week, we're talking about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. And I feel like God gave me a word for baptism in the Holy Spirit that I've never preached before, I've never seen before, I've never heard preached before, and I think it's going to be very powerful for our church. I'm really excited about it, but each of these messages leads up to that message. And it's amazing how, like, I, I entered into these seven weeks to say, okay, I'm going to go in this order. Every single week as I begin preparing messages, God's like, nope, not that one, this one. And my order has been, I got a whiteboard that the order has been changed literally every single week, but I feel like God has done it intentionally because he's got a really good word for us. But the, the topics that we're going to be going through over the next couple of weeks, next week is worshiping and freedom, then the Holy Spirit, then prayer, then being on mission to do what God wants us to do, and then joyful generosity. But today is serving. And now remember, I've said this uh, over the last couple of weeks, introducing this series, starting to preach it last week. You can't just be good at two or three of these. You have to grow in all seven. Because here's the problem. You say, I'm, I'm naturally good at these. So I'll do my two or three and I'll let that person do the two or three I'm not good at. And, and we'll be okay as a church. No, we have to grow in all seven. It's the same thing when we're back in school. If you want to get a 4.0, you got to study all seven, seven subjects you have that semester. Same thing. you got to study all seven of these and grow in all these. And some of them, you're going to be naturally skilled at. Some of them, you're going to have to work at. But we have to keep growing. You're going to look and say, well, that person's better at it than, than me. Who cares? Are you growing? Are you better than you were yesterday? Like, how many of you remember when you're in elementary school and they give you that worksheet where there's like 100 math problems and you have like five minutes to do as many as you can? Does, does anyone remember that? Or maybe it was just my school? Okay, some of you, you got it. And it's that feeling of you want to get as many done as you possibly can as fast as you can. You're not really competing against everybody else around you. You're competing against yourself. Did I get more right this time than I did last time? And now most of you, you can go through and say, oh, I can do simple addition really quick in my head. That wouldn't be a problem today because you worked at it and you practiced at it. 
Now, if it was a long division that you had to do in your head, that might be another uh, problem that you might have to work with. But how many of you know your math teacher when you're in elementary school said you're never going to have a calculator everywhere that you go? How many of you know that your math teacher is now officially wrong? Because I've got one on my watch. Um, and so those, there's those moments where we find almost that kind of cheat that allows us to speed up our spiritual development because God all of a sudden speaks in and he does something different. So we look at that, that's the purpose of even in church in that sense of let me come and learn from somebody else so I can kind of get that cheat code that lets me speed up my growth because God wants to do something in me and through me. And that's one of the beauties of coming to church on Sundays and hearing the word of God, going to small groups, serving in the church, all these different things because it's almost like God gives in particular moments when you're not expecting them spiritual uh, cheat codes that lets you speed up your growth. So let me just encourage you that as we go through all of these, one, if you miss a week, don't miss a week. But if you do miss a week, go on YouTube every single week and watch and, and learn and pick up what God's is speaking because I think he's got something that's going to grow us so that we can grow his kingdom all around. Amen? All right, before I go any further, I want you to repeat after me. Heavenly Father, your word is written in my mind and hidden in my heart. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I will seek you with all of my strength. My greatest desire is to be a disciple and to make more disciples. I will live my life according to your word, your word. O oh Lord, is eternal. Today we're going to take a look back at Malachi chapter 3. We talked about this chapter during Kingdom Builders. And a lot of you hear Malachi chapter 3. It's famous for being the tithing chapter about giving. Not where we're going at all today. But I want to refresh your minds about the book of Malachi. That even just watching how God's laid out all my sermon series this year, like he's kept changing them. Uh, as I've went, and that going from Daniel into Kingdom Builders and now uh, looking at uh, even this series and bringing Malachi back, it really ties Daniel and ties in uh, the book of Malachi into this message that we were talking about how Malachi lived about 100 years after the Israelites returned from Babylon. So Daniel's life is ending right when the Israelites are moving back. And then Malachi lives 100 years later on. And so we can always see how, for Daniel, his goal was let's live righteously, let's do what we're supposed to do right here in uh, where, where God has placed us. We're going to be faithful, we're going to be holy, we're going to be obedient, we're going to stay right here. But now all of a sudden when the people get to go back, we got to do all these things. we got to build a temple again, we got to build the walls again, we get to, to do sacrifices again, we get to do things that we haven't been able to do for 70 years, but we get to do it again. And so Malachi and the people, that they're, they're there, the temple's been rebuilt, but things still aren't going really well. How many of you have ever asked that question in, in your mind before where you're like, well, if I can just get to next Friday, everything's going to be easy. Like, I got to get through these couple of things and then everything. But then you get to next Friday and you realize, well, it's not any easier because now all this stuff is happening and there's this problem and there's this situation that life is never going to be easy and never going to be perfect until we make it to heaven. And when we get to heaven, what a glorious day that's going to be. But the Israelites are expecting everything to be perfect because they're back home again. And as they get back home, here's the problem. Everything is just falling back in, into old patterns, into old ways again. That they aren't 
doing what they were expecting that they were going to do. They aren't serving God the way that they were expecting that they were going to serve uh, God. And that high hopes are fading quickly. The repopulated city was just as unfaithful as their ancestors had been, and the nation was becoming corrupted again. And the way this book of Malachi is set up, if you remember, is God makes a claim, the people argue with God, and then God proves himself. Just know this, if you try and argue against God, you will always lose. Because God is um, all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-present. So to kind of have an argument with God when he's all-powerful, all-knowing, and all-present is kind of a silly thing to do. And so they're having this argument, and the fifth claim is what we talked about in Kingdom Builders, and that was the talking about don't rob God. But we're going to look at the sixth claim today, and it's about serving. And likely because of the passage on giving, you probably have read this, you have probably have heard this preached before, and you kind of miss it because it's like, oh, that book, that chapter, it's just talking about money, but there's more there. So this is Malachi chapter 3, verses 13 through 18. Your words have been hard against me, says the Lord, but you say, how have we spoken against you? You have said, it is vain to serve God. What is the profit of our keeping his charge or of walking as in mourning before the Lord of hosts? And now we call the arrogant blessed. Evildoers not only prosper, but they put God to the test and they escape. Then those who feared the Lord spoke with one another. The Lord paid attention and heard them, and a book of remembrance was written before him of those who feared the Lord and esteemed his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, in the day when I make up my treasured possession, and I will spare them as a man spares his son who serves him. Then once more you shall see the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve God. Let me ask this question, because I think most of us are going to relate in I don't need the hand raise every single time, but I really want you asking yourself a lot of these questions I'm going to say today. Have you ever been discouraged before when you've served God to the point where you feel like, I'm going to quit? Like, what's the point in doing this? I'm doing exactly what God has called me to do, exactly where God's called me to, to do it, and nothing is happening. Nothing is growing. Nothing is changing. I have a, a friend that's a missionary uh, on the other side of the planet where it's illegal to even being on, on camera say where, who, what his name is and, and who his name is, but he's there faithfully serving and the fruit seems really small until you realize that every single person matters to God. And so him and his family have said, you know what, we're leaving America to go where God has called us to do. And he might not always see the fruit that some uh, pastor or some other person might when they're here in America and they can freely share, but what he's doing is crucial and, and is important. And it's easy to get discouraged in those moments. Let me let you in on a secret. Pastors get discouraged as well. The Barna Group, which is, if you've ever heard of Barna before, that they're the country's foremost researcher on religion. They've put out some research at the end of last year that the great resignation that we hear about in the economy and in our country is even impacting churches, and it's doing so on a very alarming level. Now, before I say any of this, let me let you know this. How many of you have ever heard the news before where they're like, well, 57% of people support this candidate, and 40 percent support this and three are undecided. You've heard those stats before. Have any of you ever been called about those stats? Like, I always look at them like, well, where do I fit in? Because they never call me, or at least I never answer the, the, the spam calls if they, they call. But so realize this, is that even if these are as scientific as they can possibly make them, and you say, well, I don't believe that numbers are that bad. We're going to allow you to say, okay, well, 
put, cut that in half, cut the, the stats at 50%, and it's still bad. That uh, Barna shows that at the end of the year 2021, 38% of pastors wanted to quit compared to 29% in January of 2021. Okay, you say, well, I don't know if it's really that bad. Okay, 15% in January, nearly 20% in December. Imagine if 20% of our teachers decided they wanted to quit tomorrow or 20% of our health workers wanted to quit tomorrow, or 20% of our DTE, or consumers, or grocery store employees, 20% of people in one field saying, you know what, time to cash out. That's kind of, that's a scary number. That the two groups of pastors that were most likely to leave were those in ministry for over 20 years, so really kind of starting to approach that retirement age, or those that were under the 40, age of 45, basically those that were going to step up and fill the spot of those people who are leaving. You can see where the church could very quickly have an epidemic of pastors that are of age to retire that are saying, you know what, I'm done. Like, I'm out of this. And the people that are supposed to be replacing them saying, you know what, I don't want to do it either. All of a sudden, we see just this feeling of America, like, well, where, where are all the pastors going? And the reason why Barna said is that church attendance has softened quite a bit since the pandemic started. During and after the pandemic, it is estimated one-third of practicing Christians disengaged from their congregations, just sort of stopped showing up. Didn't call, didn't talk, stopped giving, stopped serving, they just disappeared. More than 4,000 churches reported closing in America in 2020, and over that same time, over 20,000 pastors of all denominations and fellowships left the ministry, and they even uh, got this stat. A 50% of current pastors surveyed said they would leave the ministry if they had another way of making a living. That's scary. And again, let's just say that those are inflated numbers. 25% said that they would leave if there was another way. So church, let me thank you for being a church that loves my family that doesn't make me feel this way. But I want to challenge you today because we're on this topic of serving and I think there's a reason why pastors are feeling this way. And I want our church to never reflect this. What I think is happening, because I'm going to be truthful in this moment. How many of you want me to always be truthful with you? Okay, half of you, raise your hands. The other half of you, there's cookies outside in the parking lot right now. Ready, go. No, it's free Girl Scout cookies in the parking lot. No. But what happened, and I even observed some of this happening here at our church, is that people that left stopped giving. And in the midst of people uh, stopping giving, that was unexpected. That affected the budget. When money stops coming in, how many of you know when you don't have as much money coming in as you had coming in before, something's got to cut and something's got to stop? wasn't a big pressure in 2020 because we couldn't do anything in 2020. We couldn't do events and we couldn't do a lot of stuff. We adjusted our budget. It worked. Then you start feeling everything going back to normal in 2021. It's like, well, the money's not where the money was before. So for a lot of pastors, they have to make the decision, am I going to cut ministry or am I going to cut my staff? And if they cut either one, then all of a sudden there's less going on. People get upset, people leave, or they cut staff and then all of a sudden, those people aren't there, so the, the pastoral staff that's there has to work harder to make up for it, and they start getting into the cycle of, I have to keep working harder and harder because nobody's stepping up to serve because a third of the, the, their church left. Once again, grateful that while we had some people that transitioned during that time period, that wasn't our church. Thank you. But uh, in the same process of people leaving and stopping giving, they stopped serving as well. And you create this stress that just happens. And they almost said, you know what, I'm just... 
I'm going to use this as an opportunity, as a moment. I'm just going to stop serving because did it really make that big of a difference? Was it really that important? I'm just going to stop. And this is where I really want to encourage you today. If you find yourself asking the question, why serve God? Know that pastors ask that same question too. It's like, well, God, why do you want me to do this? And when we look at Malachi in the, uh, the portion I just read from chapter three, the people are asking this question. is like, God, have you really loved us? Do you really want us to do this? Do you really want us? And God, like the whole theme of this uh, book is, I've loved you, says the Lord. You might come back at me and say, well, this and this and this. And God's like, if you just come back to me, you would experience the fact that I loved you. The reason why you're not experiencing that love for me is because you're intentionally leaving and going in an opposite direction. And let me just encourage you before we get any further into this message, the reason why you serve is not for you to get anything. You don't serve for you. You serve so that people that don't know Jesus can meet Jesus. You want to know why, like, well, I don't, I don't really feel anything. Are you doing it for yourself or are you doing it for other people? Because if you're doing it for other people, like, I love our foster care event we did in the beginning of August. Because everybody that served that came up to me, like, that was such a rewarding day. That was such a fulfilling day because I got to serve other people and I, I got to meet people and I got to talk with them and seeing the joy on these kids' faces as we, we gave them backpacks and we built connections. It's a powerful thing when you serve. It's a powerful thing when you help build the kingdom of God. And so ultimately, here's kind of my main big point for today. It's this, it's get in the game. Get in the game. There's two groups of people in this passage of Scripture that I want to tell you about today. The first one is the avoiders. We see them really in verses 13 through 15. And avoiders are people who want to avoid. They're people that want to grumble. They're people that want to complain that, well, there's no reward for doing this, so why would I want to do that? There's no, there's no joy for me. I don't get anything for serving, so why should I do all these things? Because it's not about you. The quicker we realize that it is not about us, the quicker we realize that we get to serve God Almighty. We get to serve the God that created the universe. What an amazing thing. Now, here's the thing I want you to realize. Is you might be thinking, well, I did take a step back. I stopped doing this or I stopped doing that uh, maybe in the last year, two years, five years, ten years. I used to serve more, but I have limitations now that I'm not as strong as I used to be. I'm not as quick as I used to be. I'm not as sharp as I used to be. I can't do the things I used to. Let me encourage you with something. And I say this a lot, but if you have air in your lungs right now, God's not done with you. Let's try that one again. If there's air in your lungs, God's not done with you. Some of you, I'm questioning if there's air in your lungs right now. If you have air in your lungs, God's not done with you. And here's the thing I want you to realize is that God has different seasons of service for you. I used to be a youth pastor. Now there's moments where I'm around a large group of youth. I'm like, ooh, how did I ever do this for so long? There is a grace and a covering over youth pastors. The amount of pizza and lock-ins and all that kind of stuff. There, there's a grace that comes with being a youth pastor. But what I want you to realize is that God had Annie and I doing particular ministries during that time period. Even when we first got here, I was still the junior high camp director for the uh, Assemblies of God Michigan Network. And in the midst of doing that, I loved it. It was one of the, the highlights of my year is, is that week of ministry. But God spoke and said, you're done doing that. And I'm like, but I don't want to be done doing that. I enjoy doing that. 
well, you're done doing that. I'm like, okay, God, if you're telling me I'm done, I'm done. One of the other things that I did when I, I got here was I was the Speed the Light director, and I loved doing that. I loved making sure that our missionaries had vehicles so that they were able to go and do that and, and encourage youth in being givers and pouring into missions and being lifelong givers. It was a joy and a privilege to do that, and God said, it's time to give that up as well. Because what he really spoke to me is if you're taking these positions that should be held by youth pastors, they don't get the opportunity to grow and you don't get what's next. So I'm like, okay, God, if you're calling me to step away from these two things that I enjoy and that I like, I'll do it. And it was probably about a month or two after that period of uh, stepping out from the Speed the Light director role, I had the opportunity to become the assistant prosperer for our area of churches. And this uh, past year, you'll remember that in the beginning of August, I was down in uh, Orlando as a part of the general presbytery with the Assemblies of God, like being a part of the, kind of our largest um, legislative body. And it's an honor and a privilege to do something like that, but I have to sit back and say, well, if I didn't say, okay, God, I'm done with this season of serving, that opportunity may have never came. And I think one of the things we get is we can be good at saying, I'm done doing this, but not saying yes to what's next. Realize this, is that when God says it's time to put this down, it's not because it's your turn to sit in the pew and do nothing. It's I set this down because God's got something that's next and I can't hold too many things at the same time. So if I set down these things that God's got what's next and what's next is likely even better than what was before. And it allows somebody else to grow and mature and take on what you used to take on. And likely, knowing God, take it to the next level. And so let me just encourage you with this, is that when you have this idea of being an avoider, all of a sudden you're saying, well, I don't want to get involved, I don't want to do this, or I couldn't do this. What can you do? Because if God's called you out of a season, he hasn't called you into saying, you know what, you faithfully served doing this, now go sit in the pew and wait for 20 years until I call you home. That's not how God operates. God's got something Different, And we'll get into that towards the end of the service today. But the other category that we see is individuals that are all in. And we see that in verses 16 through 18. These are people that feared God and esteemed his name. I don't know about you, but when I hear that right off the bat, I can avoid the things of God or I can fear God and esteem his name. It's a pretty easy answer what category that I want to be in. I hope it would be just as easy for you. And it's this idea of saying, you know what? I can look at what's going on in the world around me. I can look at the things that are good. I can look at the things that aren't good. And I'm just going to faithfully show up and serve God anyways. I'm not going to worry about what's wrong in the world. I'm going to say, God, what's my assignment today? Let me show up and you tell me what to do. That's one of the easiest ways of looking at it because we can look at all the problems in the world, everything going wrong, and say, God, why is all this stuff going wrong? Why is nobody fixing this and fixing that? What's your job? Focus on your job, and because if all Christians focus on our own job, you'd be amazed at how much quicker we can get things done. We overestimate what we can do in just a matter of a couple days or a week or a month, but we underestimate what we can do in five years, 10 years, 15 years. When I look at what's been done here in five years, like there's moments where, where if I'm looking on the day-to-day, -day, it's like, well, God, this isn't done yet, and that's not done yet, and this isn't done yet, and I look at five years, I'm like, wow, how much really has been accomplished in a five-year time period? One of the things I heard coming in is that it's really not until about year four to five where the church really kind of meshes with their pastor. 
And one of the reasons why churches kind of flounder and struggle is that you get pastors that the average stay at a church is 18 months to two years. Just when the church is starting to get to know the pastor and the pastor is starting to get to know the church, they go for something else. But when you get to that four to five year mark, you guys know who I am, I know who you are. If you haven't left yet because of me, then you're on board with me. And it's like you're stuck with me. Like I'm here until God calls us away. And I, I say it all the time, I'm not going to stay one day longer and I'm not going to leave one day earlier. When God says it's time, it's time. So we need to ask ourselves this question is how do we live all in? If we want to avoid being an avoider and we want to be all in on being all in, then we need to learn four characteristics that this passage tells us that the avoiding crowd did. The first one is this. They were people that were sitting in judgment of God rather than submitting to his dealings with them. Hear that again. They were people that were sitting in judgment of God rather than submitting to his dealings. What is that really getting at? It's saying, God, if I ran the world, I could do this better. I would do this differently, God. Like, why is, why is this person over here, why are they getting the benefit of getting all this stuff? That's not fair. If I was God, then these people would get all this stuff. Like, imagine here for a moment, I said, everyone on this side of the room, you get a free pony when you leave today. But this side of the room is thinking, they already all have ponies. We're ponyless over here. Why are they getting a second pony when I have no pony? And you're like, well, if I was God, I would give the ponyless people ponies, and you would have ponies, and they would have ponies, and then we could have a big pony party together. But here's the thing I want you to realize. You may not have the right property to, to have a horse on your property. You might not have a gated fence, and then all of a sudden the horse runs away. You may not know how to take care of a horse, but they do. But because God's giving them this, you're missing out on everything that God is giving to you. We start getting focused on what somebody else has instead of focus on what does God want to do in me. God, I could run this universe better than you. It becomes this really unfair statement that we're making towards God. And let me let you know this. I still fall for this in times. Like, there's moments where I'll go to Annie and I'll make this comment, okay, before I say anything, let me let you know I know the Bible, I know what God's saying, I know that God's good, I know that God's still on the throne, but this is how I feel right now. And I always want to put that caveat because I'm like, I'm not judging God, but like, God, I don't understand. It's okay to wrestle with God. It's okay to not understand everything all the time. But those, those moments where you're like, you know what, God? You're messing this up. You know where that attitude difference is. It's like, I'm struggling versus God, I'm right, you're wrong. And that's what these avoiders had, is they had this idea that they were sitting in judgment of God. They were telling God, I could do it better. And God, you've got to submit to what I want. That's kind of where their attitude's coming at in this. Making essentially statements like this, that God doesn't love us, and I know better than God what's good for me. That's dangerous. That's a very dangerous statement of saying, I know what's better than what, uh, for me than what God knows for me. The second thing that is a characteristic of them that we need to avoid is these people had a self-centered attitude. When we looked at the text in 3.14, it made the statement, what profit is it that we have kept his charge? What's in it for us? That's what they're asking. The Hebrew word, beitzah, which is translated as profit, was a technical term for a weaver who was cutting a piece of cloth free from the loom. 
Basically, they're saying, where's my cut? I'm going to do my part, God. I'm going to serve. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. I want all of the things that you have for me. So if I serve you, then you've got to do this for me. What is this, like the mafia? Like we're making a mob deal with God. Like, okay, God, I've got a deal that you can't refuse. That if you will, if I'll work in the nursery next Tuesday when there's nobody there, but I'll be there. And then you've got to give me everything that I want. That's not how the kingdom of God works. I don't serve to get. I serve because he gave me eternal life in the first place. And church, that's got to be our attitude. That's what we have to realize is that we cannot be self-centered with us. We serve because God has given us so much already and we need to go and tell other people about the good news of Jesus Christ. That we can't say, you know what, I'm just going to, I'm going to accept Jesus and I'm going to sit in the pew and I'm just going to wait it out. Like rapture, come on anytime. I'm just going to sit here and wait. No, if you are here, then God's got something for you to do. They're grumbling, they're fighting, they're upset, they want their share. Let me let you know something really important about God. He's not the genie in Aladdin's uh, lamp. You don't just get to, to rub the lamp and say, okay, God, I want these things now. That's being self-centered. When we truly are in Christ and we're growing as a disciple, we realize this is everything that God has already done for me. And I may not understand it and I might not see it all, but think to yourself that we, we can look at it and say, well, the, the 1% of America, they have so much more wealth than you're the 1% of the world. Get over yourself. You have indoor plumbing. You are richer than the vast, vast majority of people in the world. If you can walk into anywhere in your house and turn the water on and there's water that you can pour a glass, there is people who are living on the other side of the planet that are walking miles every single day so that they can bring water back so that their family can have something to drink. If you got indoor plumbing, you're rich, but here's the beautiful thing is that when we understand all of these principles and we are growing the kingdom of God and we're living joyfully generous, we actually give to missionaries who then go and plant water wells in those countries and then tell people about Jesus in the process of it. So we, that's why all these things have to come together. The third characteristic is these people had lost the motivation for holy living. When you ask that question, what profit is it for that? They're, they're not looking, they're, they're looking for their cut, but ultimately, they're not worried about holy living anymore. They're worried about what's best for me. It's not saying, well, God is so good and God is holy and I want to spend time in his presence and I want to spend time worshiping and I want to get to know him. I want to spend time praying. I, I want to know his heart. It's saying, well, God, what's, what's, what's in it for me? When in reality is saying, you know what? I get to worship the creator of the universe? What an amazing privilege that we get with that. The motivation is everything. And like, I want you to think for a moment. Think of somebody in your life where they served you, but you knew the entire time that they were serving you, they were just doing it because they were obligated to do so. Or you walk into a restaurant, you walk into a store, and you realize, like, this person doesn't love their job, you're waiting in line for 20 minutes to get something that would be simple and you're thinking to yourself, well, if I could just do this myself, like I would have been gone already. Versus somebody that they love their job so incredibly much that they would do anything that possible to take care of you. Now think of a uh, Christian where, well, this person is just serving you because they feel obligated to. Versus a Christian that says, you know what? My God loves me so much that he gave up 
his only son to die on a cross so that he could reunite myself with him, I want to do whatever I can to let other people know about that God. And I'm going to model it by my living. I'm not just going to say it. I'm not going to just say, well, you know what, you should do this too. I'm going to model what holy living looks like. And then the fourth characteristic is that these people had focused on the seeming prosperity of the wicked and lost the eternal perspective. This is the problem when all of a sudden you're saying, well, these people get this and these people don't. There's something wrong with God. Ultimately, here's the thing that we really need to focus on is maybe God's doing something that he's got to give them the thing that you're desiring or you're wanting because it's going to grow them, it's going to mature them, and you can't see it because guess what? You're not God. And you look at it and say, well, I want this for myself. And God knows, well, this, in this moment, in this season, is not going to be good for you. And I think all of us, we've had those moments and those experiences. I know I have where I really want this, but God, you're not giving this to me. Why? And it doesn't make any sense. Had Annie and I not went through this season of a, of a year while we were in youth ministry of wrestling with this very topic, we wouldn't be here today. Lead pastoring was not on our radar when that process started, but by the end of it, God said, here's where you're going. Because we are focused on what God wanted for us. And I looked at it, well, this person's getting a job and that person's getting a job. It's like Oprah, everybody's getting jobs. And all the places I wanted to go and all the things I wanted to do were opened and filled during that time period. But God had something better that I couldn't see in the moment, but I had the trust that he had a better plan in store. And so if we want to truly live as all in and not avoiding uh, the situation, we have to realize that there's an eternal uh, consequence, there's an eternal reward for people. That if you are in Christ, you are a new creation, you're not living for this life anymore. You're not living for the accolades of this world, you're not living to get stuff here, you're not living for money, you're not... You're living to make it to heaven and bring as many people with you as possible. And if the author of the universe decides, you know what, I'd rather you be in this spot with these things instead of where you want to be with the things that you want, we just got to be okay with it. And I'm going to faithfully serve right where I'm at, even if I don't have what I want, even if I don't have what I, I think I need because God is still good. And when we look at the group of people that were all in, this is the biggest thing I can uh, define for them, is that they were willing to fear the Lord and esteem his name. I'm right here, God. I'm faithful. I'm going to serve. I'm going to do what you call me to do. And I'm going to stay right here until you tell me to go somewhere else. And when you tell me to go somewhere else, it's like, I might like this, but okay, God, I'm done here. And now I'm going to go over here. And I'm going to tell people about Jesus over here. And now you want me to go over here? Okay, fine. I'm going to go over here. I'm going to miss those people, but I'll see them in heaven because... By nature of the relationship, they met Jesus. So I get to spend eternity with them because the things that we're doing has eternal consequences. And people can make it to heaven and spend eternity with Jesus because of you. Or you can say, you know what, I'm just going to sit in the pew and just wait it out. If you, sit, if you have that attitude, well, I'm just going to sit in the pew and wait it out, what difference are you then from these Israelites that are criticizing God? And here's the thing that I, I need you to know. We can look even in moments of being in close proximity to Jesus and still miss it. That's why we, we start with knowing the Word of God. And we talked about it last week, John 1.1. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh. 
But then we get to John 13. It tells us that Jesus was washing the feet of the disciples before the Last Supper. And in the midst of it, they, they basically, well, no, you can't wash my feet. And then we get to the spot where Judas is now betraying Jesus, that Peter is denying him. We see all this stuff plays out. They had the literal personification of the word in front of them, and they were still missing it. Because Jesus is basically saying, hey, I'm going to serve you, and as I serve you, you need to go and serve other people. That is our call. That is our mission is to go out and make Jesus Christ famous, to help people live a life anchored to Jesus because every person needs to experience Jesus so they can be intentionally discipled, become joyfully generous, and join the common unity of the, of the, the, the church so that they can go out and start the whole process over for other people. That's why the church exists. Not for our own accolades, not for attaboys, not, not so that we feel good about ourselves, but we're doing it because the name of Jesus needs to be made famous. The name of Jesus needs to be made famous. There we go. So what does that look like for us? Well, first off, I'm going to go through in just a second, like I did last week, of here's some of these benchmarks that I really want us to strive for. But let me start with this. You might say, well, I'm in the, I know what I'm supposed to be doing in this season. I know where I'm supposed to be serving in this season. If you know that, keep doing it. Keep going, being faithful. Keep going. Keep doing it until God calls you to something different. But you say, you know what? God's called me away from something, and now I don't really know what it is. First off, I don't know all of your, your, your hobbies, your skills. Like you say, well, I've got, I love, how many of you would say you love gardening? Be careful. Raise your hand if you say, I love gardening. How many, of you, how many of you say, you know, I have free time and I would love to just do something outside during the summertime? How many of you know that we got a big property here? See, you're all being very careful. We've got a big property. There's lots of weeds. I would love, because here's one of the things you've got to realize. Serving the church isn't always glamorous. It's not always in front of people. People don't always know your name. But do you know that if our property, the better and better our property looks, it speaks something to our neighborhood? So you know what, I don't have a lot of skills, but I can come and I can pick weeds during the summer. If you say, like, well, that could be me, Pastor Frank's sitting on the front row, come and talk to him afterwards. You're going to see, I'm going to say Pastor Frank quite a bit right now, but you, you make that comment of like, I like rocking babies. Hey, we have an amazing nursery. We have a toddler room that's open now. And I want to continue to get more and more people and build more and more teams because the more kids we have in there, the more need we're going to have. So if you say, well, that's a gifting, that's a skill. I like elementary school kids. I mean, if we're, we're doing a poll here, this, I'm, I'm not making you raise your hands for this, so don't, don't feel pressured. Some of you are like, I can't stand being around babies, but I love toddlers. Or toddlers, terrible twos, I couldn't do it. Give me elementary school kids. Some of you are like, oh, give me teenagers before you give me a baby because I can't break a teenager, or at least it's a little bit more okay if I run them around or make them do push-ups or something. Or you say, like, I can't do kids or teenagers, but I, want, I love being able to do landscaping, or I can do this. Or one of the, the coolest things that we have going right now, and it's, we're doing it every, like, maybe I think three months is a blood drive, where we're having near 70 people come into our building to give blood. And this past time, they needed our help with staffing. Imagine if we just staffed the, everybody who came in and checked in, and all you had to do was come and sit and smile and be nice to people and welcome them into the Shores Church and thank you for coming today. And we just need people to help. Or we have toddler time that happens on uh, Tuesday mornings. Those of you that have been here for it, we typically have somewhere, 
I would say between 30 and 60 people in the building on Tuesday mornings that don't go to our church, but if you said, you know what, I have the time, I can come and I can just talk with parents and help them out and serve snacks and answer questions about the church, we just need people here to help support that. And all you have to, like, it's not this big commitment. And so let me just encourage you. It's like you say, well, I have time, but I don't know what to do. Pastor Frank, frankatheshoreschurch.org, send him an email. Let's blow up his email account today with like, hey, how could I help? We have CityServe that's happening, that some of you have already started that process of going through the app, finding things that we have that we can give you to, for free so that you can then go and bless your neighbors and say, hey, I just want to let you know on behalf of my church, the Shores Church, on behalf of Jesus, we just want to bless you with this, and I love you. And that's already ready to go. You just got to do it. So Frank at the Shores Church.org, that it, Parker at the Shores Church.org and say, you know what? Like, hey, I want to help in kids. I want to help in youth. That we have the, the cafe ministry. We have the security teams. We have so many different things that we can do or we can invent. I just need to know what you're gifted at, what you want to do. Because here's the thing is, well, Pastor, where can you plug me in at? Well, here's the list of different things. I don't know about any of that. Well, what are you good at? What do you enjoy? What do you want to do? What's God speaking to you? What God's calling to you? Because I need you to do what you feel called to, not what I need, I have currently have a hole in. Because if I plug you in a hole that you don't fit in, it's not going to work for you and it's not going to work for me. But if I can get you involved doing what God has called you to do, watch out what God can do. And what if new ministries begin to be developed simply because you have a gifting and people make it to heaven because you decided to use your skills, giftings, talents, and abilities to advance the kingdom of God? Pastor Frank is our outreach and operations pastor. If you ever say, well, I have an idea, who do I talk to? Pastor Frank, email him today. Like, I literally want him to have 50 emails in his email address that he's got to respond to. Uh, yeah, not today. After the Lions game, because he's hoping for... He's, he won't respond to you until 4 o'clock. He's in praying and fasting today. Uh, but here's what I want you to hear, because this is not just an adult thing. This is a youth thing. This is a kid's thing. This is a uh, toddler thing. This is how we want to train the people in our church. So when our kids are in preschool, we want them to know that God created them to serve and help others. We want them to learn to serve by imitating others. And let me just say this, what gets rewarded gets repeated. And that's true for adults too. But for kids, when you reward them for doing the right thing or for anything, any attention all of a sudden watches it continue to do that thing over and over again. We want to train kids that love serving other people. And we want them to express thanks to people who help and take care of them. When we get our kids to elementary school, we want them to understand the meaning and the importance of serving and understand that God has a plan to save all people so that they may help God and others. We want them to understand this on this big of a level. We want them to have a desire to help others at home, at church, and in the community. This isn't just a, I'm going to go to church on Sunday morning because it's the right thing to do. Let me put a checkbox. No, it becomes who you are. That everything you do, everywhere you go is an opportunity for you to share God if God presents it. That you develop gratitude and respect for the work and service of others and be willing to help others. When they get to be teenagers, we want them to take the initiative to serve others and participate in fulfilling the great commitment, or yeah, the great commission and the great commitment. Because we're going to commit to the great commission. But here's the thing we got to realize. This isn't a, when you become an adult, that's what ends up happening when we say, well, they're the, the next generation. No, they're, 
the, maybe the next generation in age, but they're the church of today just as much because they get to go into our public schools and you say, well, our public schools are doing this and that, then we need to pour more investment into our kids and into our teenagers so that they can go and reach a generation that may not be able to be reached with a missionary going into their school, but they can flood their schools as missionaries telling people who Jesus is, that they can go up to other students and say, you may look like you don't have any hope, that you feel hopeless, you feel like there, there's nothing out there for you, that your parents don't love you, that there's nobody, let me tell you about somebody who does. We train them because we as adults are modeling service so that they see it, so they say, well, if they can do it, I can do it. And if they go in and they all of a sudden start reaching their friends for Jesus Christ, they begin to grow as good team members. I don't just want adults serving in our church. I want our youth serving in our church as well. That here's one of the things you can look at. Some people ask me the question, well, where are all the teenagers in our church? Basically, when I got here, we were missing kind of that elementary school age, so we had a bunch of our youth graduate, and then there, we were missing like four or five years worth of, um, of kids in elementary school. That age gap is currently in youth, but our kids' ministry is completely restocking, that our nursery is full, our toddler room, it just had to be open because of, how, I mean, there's babies that, about to, or, that are being born and about to be born, that when you look at our future five years from now, we are gonna have a fully stocked nursery, toddler room, elementary, and our youth is gonna be begin being restocked as well. And we're gonna have a generation in this church that we have poured into and invested and we can believe will go out and change the world and change St. Clair Shores for Jesus Christ. And we get to start it. And so moments you're like, well, I don't see the, the purpose of doing that. There's not that many people. Give it time. Be faithful, be consistent, and allow God to move. We want them to show gratitude and respect for the work and service of others and be willing to help others. We want to recognize and develop their God-given gifts, knowing that they must use them for God. And we want them to become good managers of their time, their talents, their resources, so that they can serve other people. So that if God opens a door, they can say yes and they can walk through it. And then for adults, here's you. We want you to be able to display biblical ethics in all areas of your service. That you know what holy living is and that it's a part of serving and leading other people to Jesus. That it's not just I'm going to fast because I'm going to get something out of it. I'm going to fast and I'm going to pray because it means somebody's going to meet Jesus that I'm going to enter the throne room with expectation, and we're going there next week when we talk about worshiping in total freedom, that this is a, if we can't worship in this room where we believe in Jesus, how are you going to take it outside of here? There needs to be a, and this is next week's message, and I'm almost done, so I'm not going to get into next week's message now, but hear this. We need to worship with so much freedom in here that it impacts how we leave this place so that we're able to advance the kingdom that we need to be good team members that desire to see the good for all they serve, that I don't care what your day was like, I don't care what your week was like, when you're here and you're serving, you're pouring out Jesus to people. And if somebody is meeting you for the very first time because they're new to our church and they see who Jesus is because of you, their life can be changed. So we're always gonna pour out our best. That they're an asset to all they serve and will gladly serve whoever God puts in their path and that they're good managers of their time, talents, and resources to serve others. Church, we need to be servants of God Almighty. And it's going to look different for every single person in this room. Some of you have different skills than I have. I have some different skills than you have. But God has created you uniquely for the people that he has put in your path. 
And it's time that we rise up and do what God has called us to do, serving his kingdom and advancing his purpose wherever we go. So today, there's not going to be this like formal altar time. Next week, there is going to absolutely be. So be ready for that next week. But today, it's really a call to action. Like, what are you doing? Are you avoiding the call of God to serve? Or are you all in saying, okay, God, wherever, whatever, whenever, however, I'm in it because I want to advance your kingdom. Because we cannot say that we are a spirit-led disciple of Jesus if we're unwilling to do anything. Because the very thing that Jesus modeled for us was serving other people. Even the day that he was going to go to the cross, he's still washing the feet. He's loving people. He's spending time with people. He is serving people. So let me encourage you, be servants. Model what Jesus did. I want to pray over you. Then we're going to say the Great Commission as we go to leave. But hear this. I want, I'm going to pray something so particular that God is going to not allow you to be comfortable or to, to, you're going to struggle sleeping until you're willing to commit to what God is speaking to you. And you think I'm joking, but no, I'm not. Like I'm literally, I'm about to pray this. And that, that God puts it over each and every one of you. Because we have a mission. You look outside in the world, time gets shorter and shorter until Jesus is coming back. There's people that need to know Jesus that you know that I don't know. And that God has opened doors for you to, to move through. It doesn't always look like, well, here's my five jobs at the church. No, what is God calling you to do to advance his kingdom? Big C church, not the Shores church, his church. Because there's a lot of people that are in our world that are going to be in heaven one day that don't attend here. So we want to grow the kingdom. Amen? Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you right now for each and every one of my friends in this place today. Lord, the call to grow your church is so much greater and so much bigger than I am. I cannot do it on my own. But Lord, I pray for each and every one of us. We might be in a season right now that we know what you've called us to do and we are faithfully serving and doing that over and over and over again. But Lord, I pray that if you are starting to kind of shift somebody, even as they hear this message today, towards something different, Lord, I pray that you would give them the release if they need that release, but that you would begin to give them the call of what's next at the same time. And Lord, I pray for anyone that's in this room that they have never stepped into serving you or they have stepped aside for a season but they're looking for what they're supposed to do. Lord, I pray right now that you would begin speaking truth over them to help them see that which you are calling them to do. Lord, that if they're running from what your call is and they know what that call is, Lord, I pray that you will not allow them to rest until they email Pastor Frank today and say, I'm open and I'm available and I want to serve, but I don't know how or what, and begin that process, God, that restless nights until they're willing to commit because we need to be spirit-led disciples. It's what you've called us to be so that we can advance your kingdom and grow your kingdom so that you can get everything that you paid for on that cross. So, Lord, we thank you today in Jesus' incredible name. Amen. Would you go ahead and stand with me as we say the Great Commission together? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age.